Good morning, church family. It is good to be back together. Uh, it is good to to press on in our series. I am a. I'm not just trying to be uh, hip and cool because I don't think you could be hip and cool sitting on a stool. But you know, we'll try. We'll see what happens. But uh, today we're going to press on in our series, looking at the life of Joseph, uh, entitled "God Means for Good," and uh, and. We're, we've been looking at this idea last week, and we're going to continue today uh, looking at the theme of walking in the equipping of God's calling. And what does it look like when we walk faithfully in the places that God has called us through the equipping that he has given us? Remember last week we looked at uh, Genesis 40 where Joseph is in prison. He's in prison of the captain of the guard, uh, Potiphar's prison there. Uh, wrongfully imprisoned, and he miraculously is able to interpret two dreams from two different officials. And uh, and for one, it goes really well, and for another one, it doesn't go so well. But uh, this morning is part two in this series. And and as we look at what God did in, in Joseph's life in chapter 41, the next chapter, and full disclosure, this is a true part two of the sermon series. It's not like we have kind of two related. This is actually... Well, we left on a cliffhanger last week, kind of. We could have had in, in big letters to be continued at the end of our at the end of our sermon last week. And I'm I just going to ask you to jog your memory a little bit, go back to last week, and let's think about all that we talked about um, in, in that time together. And last week we spent a lot of time coming to this main point that as followers of Jesus, we are called to trust God. In every situation, in every circumstance, that he's committed to refining us, to maturing us, to developing who we are in Christ, making us more and more like Christ. And he often does that. If you remember, we talked about this. He often does that through difficult circumstances that Paul reminded us of a few minutes ago. And he, and he does that uh, through situations that we walk through. And we had three main points. One was that God orchestrates things in our lives uh, for, in order to equip us. Two, we talked about testing is often the method that God uses to bring about spiritual development, to cultivate depth in our spiritual lives. And then we unpacked the third one, that at the core of it all, what's at stake is the glory of God. Essentially, that Almighty God has chosen us, fallen, rebellious people, that he has redeemed to use as his instruments in carrying out his purposes in this world. And so it's important to kind of have all that as a reminder for us today as we, as we take a step forward. And, and last week was all about coming to this place of trusting God. Will I trust God that in these seasons of life, it's for my good that he's using that to equip me. So today we're going to take another step forward and move beyond trust to actually walking out the calling. Because there's one thing to trust God. When, when we're kind of in isolation, you know, God, I'm in my prayer at time of prayer. I trust you. I trust you. It's another thing to be out in our life walking in the calling that he's given us. And so first, let me just start by saying, what in the world do I mean by that? What is what calling? What calling are we talking about? Are we talking about that question that has a teenager? God, what do you want to do with my life? You know, like, let me just figure it out. You know, no, it, what, what am I talking about by calling? And first, let me say that each of us as a follower of Jesus has been called by Christ 
to make disciples in this world. Let me just back up just a little bit, and I'll say you can actually trace this back to the beginnings of all things in the Bible, that this same calling that every single one of us have, that God formally gave his people as they're wandering through the desert in Deuteronomy 6, and that command to love God, that to have no gods before me, love God with all that I am, that, that literally to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus quotes this in Matthew 22 when he's teaching the disciples and he's being questioned by the religious leaders. They ask him, what's the greatest command? And he says that very thing. He quotes that. But then he tacks on another verse from Leviticus 19. It says, and by the way, the second one is this. The second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you fast forward to the end of Matthew's gospel, we see the culmination of those two things of when we love God with everything and we love people as, as we love ourselves, when those two things collide, what you see is the command of, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The, the, the pinnacle of loving God with everything and loving neighbor as ourself is that command. So that is, uh, that is our calling. We are every single one of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is your calling. doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your vocation. It doesn't even matter how long you have been walking with Jesus. That is our calling as the people of God. So uh, in, in the midst of carrying out that calling to make disciples, God puts every single one of us into unique, specific situations, into networks of people into vocations, into families, into circumstances, so that we can carry out that calling. Anybody tracking with me this morning? Are you with me? Yeah. All right, good. I'm glad we're together. So every single one of us has a unique way of doing that. You were brought into your family, not me, not anybody else. You were put into your family. You were put into your job for a reason. You were put into your situations of life for a reason, to carry out this calling. And God is equipping us for that calling, to be about that task of loving others, loving the Father well, making much of him through the making of disciples. And he will go to great lengths to equip you and me to do that well. So his desire is for us to submit to him in that. So today, we're looking at part two. That's our introduction. Thank you for sticking with me through the introduction, uh, because we got a long way to go, and we got a, we got just a little bit of a time to get there. So uh, I think that's a country song somewhere back in America. So uh, <laughs> to do that, let's turn to our passage in Genesis chapter 41. We're going to read verses 1 to 45. Yeah, you heard me right. We're going to read 45 verses right here, and we're going to just do this and, and plow through this, and it's going to be good because it's the Word of God. So Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1 all the way to 45, it says, at the end of two years. How long? Two years. Okay, just okay. Just hold that on. Hold on to that till later. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. What? The sickly thin cows ate. The healthy, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump, full ones. 
Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled, so he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his, his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, remember him from last week? The chief cupbearer was in the prison. He said to Pharaoh, today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I'm not able to, said Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable, favorable answer. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows came up from the Nile and grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, weak, very sickly, and thin, came up. I've never seen such sickly ones as these in all the land of Egypt. Then the thin, sickly cows ate the first seven well-fed cows. When they had devoured them, you could not tell that they had devoured them. Their appearance was as bad as it had been before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, coming up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin uh, heads of grain swallowed the seven good ones. I told this to the, to the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven worthless, scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God, and he will carry it out soon. So now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by the famine. Okay, almost done. Here we go, verse 37. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? Pharaoh said that. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. 
Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and servants called out before him, Make way! So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah and gave him a wife, Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Man, thanks be to God for the reading of his word. May he bless it today and may he illuminate our hearts today through it. Okay. Woo, that was a lot. What a journey we have seen Joseph go on these last several weeks together. Talk about living life in the lowest of lows and then going to the highest of highs. I mean, hopefully what you've seen in Mark's sermons these last few weeks and in mine last week is that this wasn't all for nothing, that, that there was purpose in this journey. And the beginning of this passage serves as a bridge for what we were talking about last week, trusting in the things, trusting that the things that God has you walk through, they're being used by God for your equipping to mature you. And this is on full display in our passage today. And let's just break this passage down a bit. I was telling the guys this morning, I, this is one of those passages with 45 verses. We're not going to go verse by verse and look at detailed word searches at all this stuff. We're going to look kind of a meta perspective today. Otherwise, we'd be here a long time. Uh, so uh, let's think about this. So uh, we find here that Pharaoh has two really disturbing dreams. I mean, he has a very vivid, disturbing dream, and it wakes him up. Has that ever happened to you? You ever been had just this really disturbing dream? You wake up and, and you're like, I know when this is this has happened to me several times. It's almost like you wake up, but you want to wake up and shake it off, but you really don't want to wake up all the way because you want to be able to go back to sleep, you know. And so he's able to kind of shake it off a little bit and goes back to sleep and has another disturbing dream, you know. And so uh, that's the picture we have here, and it's important for us to know that within Egyptian culture, dreams were highly valued. They, they, were, they, they had so many gods and goddesses that Egyptian leaders especially viewed dreams as the way that many of their gods and goddesses communicated with them. So anyone who could interpret a dream was very valuable. They, they were very well respected, and that's why we see Pharaoh respond to Joseph the way he does. That's important to, to latch on to that this morning. So Pharaoh, he calls all his magicians in, all his wise people who make a living at interpreting dreams, and not one of them can tell Pharaoh what his dreams mean. It's only at that point that the cupbearer has this revelation. Oh, no, what have I done? I've forgotten about the one guy who helped me back in prison. And my sin is great, one translation says of this story. And, and he realizes the wrong that he has committed against Joseph. And he recommends Joseph to Pharaoh. Pharaoh brings him in, and he has to talk with him. And here is the big, biggest example of what we were talking about last week. Only we, we didn't have time to cover it because we went over time a little bit, which we might do a little bit today. I apologize in advance. God has used Joseph's experience with his dreams and his youth. And God has used Joseph's experience last week. We saw this in the prison with those two dreams for this moment before Pharaoh. Bo all of that was training ground for this moment right here before Pharaoh. Joseph's ability that God has given him to be used by God to interpret dreams is the reason we see such a radical reaction from Pharaoh. So not only had God orchestrated things like we talked about last week in Joseph's life, 
But Joseph has been obedient in the midst of God orchestrating those things in his life. And as a result, he's ready for this experience. And as we build off of what we saw last time, our main point today is this. Number one, we have three again this week. I said last time we had three. Again, the Good Baptist message, we have three main points. The first one is this. When we walk in the equipping that God has called us to experience, we see life change and growth. When we walk in that, that equipping, we walk it out, we practice it, we see life-changing growth. To put it in New Testament terms, which we, we, we kind of resound more around, uh, we see fruit. We see that John 15 kind of fruit that I read from last week. Jesus says that I am the vine, you, uh, and you are the branches, and the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We see maturity produced in our lives. We, we see uh, that, that leads us to investing in, in other people's lives around us. And Genesis 41 is, is the moment where Joseph is able to be an amazing picture of this very thing for us. Joseph's no longer the same person we saw way back several weeks ago where he's flaunting that coat. He's flaunting that relationship that he has with his father before his brothers. He's flaunting that dream. We, we no longer see that Joseph. This is a totally different person standing here before Pharaoh. And the things that the Lord has taken Joseph through have now matured him and brought him to a place where he can step into this moment. He can stand before the most powerful man in the land, and, and he can be totally comfortable with who he is in God because of what God has brought him through. What we're witnessing now is that Joseph has come to a place of finding contentment in God, regardless of his circumstances, regardless of, of where he is, he's content in, in who he is in God. Look at the interaction Joseph has with Pharaoh. Skip down to verse 15 with me. 15 and 16 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Here's a moment where temptation could easily arise, make much of myself, make much of God, but look at what Joseph says. He says, I'm not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It's God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, had this interaction happened several weeks ago in our chapter, several chapters ago, uh, we, that, that, that boy that we saw, we see evidence that this would not have gone the same way. The same answer would not have been given here. Based on what we have seen in the past, Joseph would have been boastful here. Oh, yeah, I can give you. Of course I can give you the answers. But that's not what we see at all. Joseph's humble. He's respectful. Yet, he doesn't seem fearful before the most powerful man in the land. He's not afraid. There's a healthy respect there. And just like we saw in last week's passage, something that stands out to me here is what we don't see. See, Joseph doesn't mention the injustices that he's gone through. He doesn't bring up Potiphar's wife. He doesn't mention being kidnapped or being betrayed. He doesn't mention anything beyond what Pharaoh asks him directly. And as I read this, as I see this passage, this is a display of Joseph's contentment in God. Even though he's lived through all of this, I believe we see contentment on display. And there's this maturity that's come only through walking through the fire that we see in these other passages. I'll say it again. The things that you have walked through and are walking through are for a purpose. So do not waste them. Don't waste them. In the midst of hardship and difficulty, trust the Lord. Submit to him. Obey him. 
Don't, do not give up on his faithfulness. He's working all things to prepare you to be effective for the things he's called you to. Now, it's in our, uh, our, learn, our leaning into God and, and, and our finding contentment in him and in his word where we find ourselves full of joy, even in difficult days, even in days that are hard. And honestly, it may be that we never see the long-term purposes behind the things we walk through. It might be. I mean, Joseph is a very blessed guy. I mean, he got to see instant gratification almost, you know, this moment of the switch flips. And he sees, oh, that's why this has been. It might be that God takes you through things to prepare you for things, and you never actually see the long-term benefit of it all in the future. But that doesn't mean he's not working for your good. It doesn't mean he's not faithful. Because like Joseph, it might be that you find everything flips in the matter of a moment and you discover what everything's for. When we walk in that equipping that God has called us to experience, we see life-changing growth. And that's often seen how content we are in God, regardless of our circumstances. Let's look at one other example in our passage. Turn to verses 23 through 36. And Joseph says this, Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. So now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning man. Verse 34, let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers. Verse 35, let him gather all the excess food during the good years. Verse 36, the food will be reserved. He, he, do you see the humility and the maturity on display here? Not for one second do we see Joseph posturing or, or suggesting that he should be the man to fill this position he, he simply gives the information. We see no display here of Joseph showing aspirations of doing anything but speaking truth that God has given him. Joseph suggests the creation of this role, doesn't suggest anything else beyond that. What humility when we contrast it with Joseph flaunting that coat. You guys are all going to bow down to me one day. None of that is there. When we follow through with what we talked about last week, trusting and embracing all that God has led us through. What the Spirit of God produces in my heart and your heart is maturity and growth. Now, now let me be clear about one thing, because that sounds really good. So to be clear, I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. In fact, it's not going to be easy. It's not comfortable. The reason it's so effective is because it's not easy that, that process that's difficult, it, that striving, that struggle, that refining is not an easy process. It's, it's the fact that it is a refining process that makes it a good thing for us, though. Uh, what, what did verse 1 say? I had you repeat this to me. How long was Joseph in that prison even after he interpreted the two dreams? Two years. So for two more years, even after he's done this divine thing, he still sits right there day after day, day after day, just being faithful before the Lord, just being obedient, just being patient, God continually cultivating things in his heart and his life. Those of you who have walked through trials, through difficult situations like this, know what I'm talking about. When you recognize what God cultivated in your life through those days of equipping, they turn from being bitter memories to joyful ones. I mean, days, months, weeks, years later, when you look back on that season that you walked through, that in the days, they were hard days. They were frustrating days, bitter days maybe even. But years later, the bitterness turns to joy. You begin to thank God for that experience and recognize, man, Lord, what a, what a blessing it was 
you would count it as a blessing. What a blessing it was that you let me walk through that because I now see what it's produced in my life. I now see who I am because of those days. And that's why we see what we see at the end of this book. That's why we have the title of this sermon series, God Means for Good, because that's Joseph's response to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant that for good. Joseph doesn't, he praises God for that betrayal, which is mind-blowing. This thing, this one decision, this one act that sent me on this whole journey of pain and suffering, I now praise God for it because I see what it produced in my life. Took 20 years to get there, but that's where I am. Joseph recognized in his life. And that brings us to main point number two. Uh, Number two, after the seasons of equipping, God gives us opportunities to walk out that equipping, to walk it out. There, there's several examples here, but I'm just going to run through them as, um, as we think about time. So uh, first, as we've alluded to, God has cultivated a deep sense of humility in Joseph. Pharaoh recounts these two dreams for Joseph, which, man, that's, that's crazy. We see this first dream where seven healthy, fat cows come up from the Nile, and they begin to graze on the reeds. And as, you know, you think about symbol, symbolism of a land, that's a pretty good symbol, you know, all the, all the livestock being healthy. And then all of a sudden, seven sickly, emaciated cows come up behind them, and they gobble them up. They feast on them. There's no sign of any cow left after they've, but they're unchanged. I mean, Pharaoh is disturbed enough that we get the sense that this is a pretty vivid and gruesome sight. I mean, it wakes him up. <laughs> and then he recounts the second dream regarding the, set, the, the healthy heads of grain and the dry grains, uh, heads of grain. And the seven heads of dry grain physically swallow up, which I don't even understand how that happens. They swallow up the, health, the healthy heads of grain. And notice in both dreams how many cows and how many heads of grain there are. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the number seven is a significant number throughout the scriptures, and it's, it's, it's symbolic. And, and throughout scripture, it's, it symbolizes the idea of totality, completeness, uh, perfection. And, and, and so in Joseph's interpretation, he understands that this is not just seven kind of decent good years of harvest, followed by seven kind of challenging, little tricky years of har- harvest. No, this is seven perfectly abundant years. Like we've never seen the levels of harvest for seven consecutive years, followed by the polar opposite, seven years so bad that those years were so good that we, it was mind-blowing how good they were. They're forgotten, the years, the years following them are so bad. I mean, this is like, we, we think of pandemic being a bad thing. This is, and across the world, it's been a big problem. This, this uh, seven-year period would have been absolutely disastrous for the world. That's how bad this this famine would have been. This is total, complete abundance followed by total, complete drought. And here's the moment where Joseph can, can walk in that equipping that he's received. He doesn't balk. He doesn't hesitate or do anything but share what speak, what God has revealed to him. And Joseph doesn't try to take retribution. He, what we see is that he respects Pharaoh, but again, There's no fear of man in his heart. He speaks plainly. And notice who Joseph gives credit for the revelation of truth of these dreams. He credits God. That's maturity, humility. Now, notice one other thing here. There's a confidence on display 
I'm, I'm blown away by Joseph's confidence here. Look at verse uh, three with look at three verses with me. Verse twenty-five says, "Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams, uh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do." Skip to twenty-eight, and he says, "It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do." And 32, he says, since the dream has, was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. Joseph just gets right to the point. There, there's no pontificating. There's no monologuing. There's no, no making himself look good with his speech. He doesn't drag it out or try to make much of himself. Joseph doesn't even try to credit or make himself look good as he shares it. Instead, he's direct. He's plain-spoken. This is the truth. This is the bottom line. God has matured uh, Joseph enough through all of this to the point that we see the outworking of Joseph's dependence upon the Lord. We see a God-given divine wisdom that just oozes out of him. I mean, not only does Joseph interpret the dream, but in the power of the Spirit of God, through that equipping, Joseph proceeds to give Pharaoh an action plan. So Pharaoh just wants to know, what's the dream mean? Joseph says, so here's the deal. Because the dream means this, this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to do right now. I mean, <laughs> bold to say to the king of the land, so here's your dream. By the way, here's your next step that you need to take. And as we walk in those moments that God has equipped us for, we are given what we need. That's, what, that's the point of all of this. Joseph doesn't, inter, doesn't just interpret the dream, but he's given what he needs. He's given the wisdom to share with Pharaoh, this is how you save your country. And so just like Joseph, we find this. God gives us what, it, what, he, what we need when we need it. And this isn't a new concept to us. I mean, Jesus talks about this in, in Luke's gospel, in Luke, 11, in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. And, and, and he's teaching about not giving into a fear of man. And, and, and when you stand before judges, when you stand before things, or when you, when you need to give a defense of the gospel, God will give you what you need through the Spirit. This is what Jesus says in Luke 11 and 12. He says, Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about what you should defend, uh, how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. The Spirit of God. Follower Jesus, the Spirit of God that lives within you will give you what you need in those moments and those situations. Oh, it still won't be easy, but you'll have a clear understanding of the steps you need to take. You know, it's, it's not like it's comfortable. The, the, the equipping of the Spirit makes all things easy. No, the equipping of the Spirit gives us understanding of what we need to do and the boldness to do that, even though it's not easy. So for Joseph, God gave him humility and then he gave him wisdom. But did you pick up on Genesis 41, 33 through 36, that it's not actually part of the dream? We've kind of talked about this. So he, he gives them this action plan. This is additional advice that comes straight from God granted to Joseph. And, and, and Pharaoh, here's, the, here's my point. Pharaoh recognizes that this is not just Joseph speaking. He recognizes that this is from God. That's how wise he is. It's kind of like Solomon. You read back through the life of Solomon. Everyone marveled at Solomon's wisdom, and they recognized that it was wisdom from God. The same thing here. In, in verse 38, he says, and, and he, Pharaoh, said to them, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? Now, this is the moment. 
all that pain has been for. This is the moment God is preparing him. God used Joseph's experience, that overseeing, that managing of Potiphar's household, even though he was a slave, he's managing another man's possessions and household. He goes to the prison and he's managing the prison and all that stuff's flourishing, but he's getting administrative training. But all this, all this is what it was for. So I say to you today, don't waste your equipping. God has taken you through things that you've gone through for a reason. Do not waste it. Don't waste it. Walk in faithfulness before him. If you will do that, you will find deeper and deeper joy. You'll find satisfaction that you never dreamed even existed or was possible. So one, when we walk in the equipping that God has called us to experience, we see life-changing growth. Second, after the seasons of equipping, God gives us opportunities to walk in that equipping. And just like last Sunday, uh, we come to the third and shortest point, and again, it is the most important point. What's at stake in your obedience to walk in this calling is the glory of God. And we introduced this, la- this idea last week, and I'll say what I said last week, that this is not an issue of whether or not God receives glory. He will receive glory. It's more that this is the weight that God puts behind the equipping of his people. He puts his glory at stake. And it should cause us to be in awe of God, that the God of the universe, the one who created all things, that he has chosen us, fallen, rebellious, continually, perpetually, habitually rebellious people to be his instruments of living out this calling being a picture of what it means to love God with our whole lives, to love God, love others sacrificially, and to let the outworking of those two to be the making of disciples, to invest in others so that others know how to both know God and love people and to help others know God and love people and help others. God has always been about the redeeming of his people, a redeeming of a people from every nation language, tribe, and tongue. We see that in Revelation. That's who we see around the throne room of God, praising and lifting up the the praises. Joseph's piece of this puzzle goes back to that covenant, like we said last week, back to that covenant with his great-grandfather, Abraham, that God said that um, I will be your God and you and your people are going to be my people. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to multiply your family. But ultimately, I'm going to bless the nations through your descendant. In this chapter, we see Pharaoh elevate Joseph to the place of number two in authority over the whole country. Look at verses 39 to 41 with me. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. God has now put Joseph in a position of prominence in order for Joseph to live out a life that reflects who God is before a whole nation. Man, the influence that God gives Joseph now, this stage, just to live out his life before people. He's, he's center stage now. But as we're going to see in future chapters, Joseph is also now in a position to save the rest of his family and then those generations that leading up to Jesus, going back to that covenant with Abraham that I will bless the nations through your descendants. So Joseph feels, gives his opportunity to feel that link in that chain that God has given him to be a blessing to the nations. Therefore, I go back to my earlier point. Sometimes it's 
it's just not about me and my situation. It's not about you and your situation. Sometimes the Lord enables us to walk out our obedience and faithfulness before him for the sake of others. Sometimes it's just not about us. We want it to be about us. Oh, I want everything to be about me, right? But sometimes it's just not about me. It's not always about us. And that's a good thing, quite honestly. Uh, But the dominoes continue to fall here in this chapter. Not only does God get glory through Joseph and through the saving of Joseph's family, but look at Pharaoh's confession here. We just read his response. He's in awe of God's revelation to Joseph. He's in awe enough to praise Joseph because God's working in through Joseph. And ultimately, Pharaoh respects, he, he demonstrates a respect of God on some level because he follows the advice of the plan. I mean, there's no hesitation. He immediately goes after the plan, recognizing that Almighty God has given it to Joseph, so I'm going to go after this plan, and I want to I save my nation. And now the one true God takes center stage in a nation that is filled with false gods and goddesses. And I love that. God is faithful to move when his glory is at stake. I close this morning by pointing out just just two more quick ways that we see God's glory on display through Joseph's life. George uh, Prasher wrote a a several-volume book, and it's uh, what I've read of it has been so good. I've read parts of of the volume, and it's entitled The Hidden Jesus, Types and Shadows. And and each volume, he goes through a different one. He goes through the Old Testament, one he goes through just Genesis, and one he goes through offerings and sacrifices. Well, I was looking at the one he, he, looks, he does on Genesis, and, and he looks at how Jesus is revealed in different things in the Old Testament, and amazing, good, good stuff. And writing about our chapter this morning, he says this, and this should be up on the screen. He says, the book of Genesis begins by showing how rule was lost by one man through his disobedience. It closes with rule restored and established in the hands of one who was found worthy of the highest honor, what a reversal of Potiphar's unrighteous judgment when Pharaoh lifted Joseph out of the dungeon and arrayed him in royal vestures and made him lord over all the land. And all this at a time when Egypt was the granary and metropolis of the world. What grace. God shows us in this moment an amazing picture. See, it, it foreshadows right here an ending of the story of all things, even here in, in the pages of Genesis. The Apostle Paul in, in, in Romans 5, he, he's, he's detailing and describing how in one man, in Adam, uh, all have sinned, but in another man, a better man, Jesus, there's salvation. Ultimately, this story of salvation is going to end with Jesus ruling over everything. We, we see that throughout the pages of the New Testament, that, that in this actual ending, there is no one who is more powerful no one who has more authority than Jesus. Jesus alone is worthy to be that righteous ruler over all. And if that's not a good enough picture for us today, let's, let's take two more seconds to consider the name Pharaoh gave to Joseph, that name Zephanath-Paneah in verse 45. It can be translated as Savior of the world. How amazing is that? Uh, as good an ex- as an example that Joseph is for us today, there's a better example I want to leave you with today because Joseph is just a picture of the ultimate Savior of the world. That Savior, Jesus, saw the brokenness and the rebellion against God in this world, and he willingly entered into it, becoming one of us, living a perfect life that we couldn't live. He willingly died. He willingly went to the cross, dying a death, that you and I should have died. And then he rose again, proving that if we will turn from our way to his way and trust him with our lives to be the king, to be the Lord of our lives, that not only 
Can he grant us forgiveness? He will. He promises in his faithfulness to grant us forgiveness. He promises to make us right with God. Friends, if you've never done that today, if you've never made Jesus the King and Lord of your life, I invite you to do that today. Uh, There's space to talk more about that after our time of worship. And if you're in person with us, please stay. Talk with us about that. It'd be a pleasure to answer any questions you have about that. If you're watching online today, uh, please get in contact with us through social media, through our email. Uh, We would count it a joy to talk with you about these things and more to tell. Christian, Joseph isn't the only person God desires to make much of so that his glory can shine through their life. He's equipping you. He's equipping you. And today I'm urging you, I I am pleading with you, be faithful to walk in the calling that he has given you. Be faithful to walk in that equipping that he's called you to. So I'll leave you with, with a question this morning, a challenge. Are there places in your life where you know he's leading you, but you're resisting to go? Are there places in your life where you know he's leading you, but you're resisting to go? And secondly, are there people God has put in your life that you know you need to follow through and share the good news of Jesus with? Be faithful in that today. Remember our promise that he will give us exactly what we need in the moment we need it through the power of his spirit. If we trust him, if we step out in faith and trust him, he will give us what we need. The Lord has already been at work in your life in and around you in order to use you to invest in others. And whether or not that's ever as visible as Joseph, that's not the point. God sees it and he takes pleasure in your faithfulness and your obedience. So I challenge you today, walk in the equipping of God's calling. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace you give us that you use the difficult things in our lives to equip us, to train us, You use every season to make us uh, more and more like Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us faith, that you would give us the ability to walk out this equipping as we seek to love you with every single thing, every thought, every feeling, every internal thing in our lives, and that we would love others sacrificially. And we would do that by investing the gospel into them and making disciples. So help us today to be about that task. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you, friends. God bless you, church family.